Blog Talk Radio. Apple, New York City, 
bringing us a little knowledge to rap. He said, meet the young people where they are, and this is the way that this brother does it. Now, this is part two of our Nevada caucus, the Black Vote, and the Black Agenda Unity Show. And my guest today, well, we're all going to be guests because this is a unity thing. I got Brother Thomas Berry from Rant Radio. Hello, people. We got Brother Levon of Real Radio. Peace. And hopefully we're going to get uh, Brother Franklin Burley. Some people know him as Franklin G. from Like It Is Radio uh, broadcast on Fridays from our one black-owned terrestrial radio show in the entire state of Nevada. Do you believe there's just one black-owned radio station in this huge state called Nevada? Well, difficult though it may be to believe, that is the truth. As a matter of fact, we don't even have a black-owned grocery store or a gas station. But we can do something about that. Just like we can flex our political power to do something about where we are today. The title of our show, once again, is Nevada Caucus. Try to talk about the results, what happened. The black vote, the role that they play, and the role that we play in this election cycle. And also we're going to try to hit on the black agenda because we need an agenda if we want something to happen. Um, We chopped it up for about uh, 45 minutes. And... Brothers, if you don't mind, uh, starting with, um, well, either one of you jump in and kind of recap where we are while I do some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. <laughs> um, so we we wound up talking about how the, the stains that Bill Clinton left was on us. We don't want to continue, obviously, the mass incarceration, we don't need another 20 years, 30 years of that as a continuation. And while we cannot be for sure that's what Hillary would mean for the country, at the same time, is it is it worth that risk? Uh, the, the unwillingness of the other side of the aisle to negotiate with President Obama may very well continue, as Brother Barry was wise to point out, under Hillary Clinton because there's no skin in the game for them now that most pork barrel spending has been taken out or or um, riders have been taken out of the legislation. So what does that leave for us in the wake of how the political landscape is shaping up right now for this 20 for the rest of the 2016 campaign in which we will all go to the polls and choose our next president? Uh, the choices are very, very thin. Uh, on the Republican side, there's no good choices there, in, in my personal opinion. And that's just not because I don't usually vote for them, because I would vote for a good Republican had I, had had there been one in the field. But with Trump being the leading Republican at this time, and in, I believe, the first national poll today, he actually is budding at 50%. Uh, oh, wow. That is that's scary. That's he's budding. He hasn't hit it yet, but it's scary. I mean, the, the he is he is he is in, in effect though, gotten his firewall. 
to be honest with you. He won South Carolina. I mean, that that was it. That the the rest of it will fall more than likely his way, way more often than not. So I don't. The the Trump train is here to stay. To be honest with you, now some folks will coalesce behind whatever quote unquote establishment candidate they think would be best suited to take him. I don't think it's going to be Cruz. I think it's going to be Rubio because of the the birth of question that none of them want to bring up, but it's it's a true thing. Uh, I, I think Donald Trump was very smart at speaking about it early because it really nipped Cruz's, Cruz's chances in the bud. I think he was very wise at calling out Big, uh, Big Brother Bush over Jeb because he took all the room out of the air when Jeb announced that um, former President GW was going on the trail for him. Yeah, this this dude has been very smart, man, and and he has incited fear. He's incited hatred, uh, a lot of which we've seen throughout the tenure of President Obama. He's he's very much riding that wave. The question is. Is it enough? I don't think it's enough. I think more people are moderate than they are conservative. I really do. So I, I don't think he will actually win the party's um, uh, approval to be their candidate. But stranger things have happened. I mean, this dude has said and done just about anything that would cripple anyone else, but he's still chugging along, and, and that, to me, is amazing. Well, you know, I, I, I will say this about Trump, and I, I talked about this on my Facebook page last night, is that we have to always remember Trump is a uh, corporate tycoon who have access to, to some information that the average politician does not have access to. And I think that Trump, it will probably come out years later, has access to uh, uh, what they call consumer reports. And it shows you the trend of where white folks and black folks are like, where we all spend money. Uh, they use this inside of, um, they, they use this for medical insurance companies to, to dictate, you know, uh, you know, and determine how much they're going to charge for certain insurance rates for certain groups of people. And I think what what Trump does well is he do, he talks dog whistle politics to white America. And I think that while while we think it's scary, I think that, that, that what, what Trump is saying has been on the horizon for a long time. I think it's been on the horizon for uh, not only Democrats but also Republicans. And I wanted to throw this in there. We didn't talk about this, but I. I I think, Brother Lee and Brother Rodney, I think that this is opening up for a third-party candidate, somebody like a Bloomberg from New York City, to get in and become president. Because here's the one thing that we do know for sure. We know that the book, who was that, Jeb Bush, who just dropped out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people were tired of him. They were, they were tired of the Bush family. I think for a large part of the average citizens in this country, I think people do have what they consider Clinton fatigue, right? They're tired of hearing about the Clintons because it seems like since 1990, since 1992, in every election, you've heard something about a Clinton, whether uh, even up to, you know, Al Gore versus George Bush. 
Uh, Bill Clinton was a large reason why some people did not turn out for Al Gore. If you want to talk about Howard Dean um, and his his demise in uh, 2000, remember they said and they they said that it was the Clintons who were behind Gore losing the nomination. They said that it was the Clintons who wanted Kerry to be the nomination because they they knew that Kerry could not be Bush, and by Kerry losing to Bush, it allowed and it opened the door for Hillary to run. So. I'm saying all that to say is it right now the media needs uh the media, the corporate media, they need Donald Trump to do what he's doing. His trolling, his sophomore antics, uh things that they would call uh politicians out for normally. Uh he's not a politician. So he can say no, no. these things. He can say these things. Nobody can go back and say he has a voting record to call him on because he hasn't voted on anything. So for Donald uh, for Donald right now, this is this is great business because think about it, Lee. If Donald doesn't become president of the United States, and you got all these super PACs that throw hundreds of millions and some uh, might even throw billions of dollars behind him, he doesn't have to spend his own money. People can always be under the the, the perception that hey, well he's a billionaire. He didn't spend his own money. No, it's going to be PAC money that's going to be uh, going his way. Uh, this opens the door. Now, what I'm saying for the Democrat side of the aisle. I think that if people really wanted to, if we really want to keep the people engaged and get people out to vote, I think Bernie Sanders. I think he energizes the base. I think Bernie Sanders. He he speaks in terms that the Republicans used to speak in back in the 1920s and 30s. He almost sounds like Dwight Eisenhower when he talks, Brother Rodney. Um, and I think you know if you go back and you look at the old Republican platform. Uh, before they came up with the Southern strategy, uh, this thing about free college that Bernie's talking about, hey, man, that's, that, that used to be part of the Republican platform. When we talk about health care for everybody, before the Clintons started talking about universal health care, before uh, before uh, my man, uh, the, what was it, Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, before he started talking about it, Richard Nixon was talking about that as well. So these are things that are not just uh, Democratic or or progressive, or whatever you want to call them, liberal. These are not liberal ideas. These used to be a universal idea of people in this country on both sides of the aisle. What you have on both sides of the aisle, why Bernie has traction, why Trump has traction, is you have people are tired of politics as usual. They're tired, uh, if you think about the Tea Party and the rise of the Tea Party, part of that was a rejection of the status quo of right-wing politicians. People are tired of it. So what I hope that people take out of Nevada is that, like Brother Rodney always says, we do need an agenda. You know, we, we need an agenda. We need a focus so that when these politicians come to our town, um, that we're not only just asking, you know, for them to give us things that they can't promise. We need to give them substantial things and say, hey, this is how we know you are for African Americans. If you put this a part of your platform, if this is something that we can stand behind you, that should be something that we ask every politician. That should be almost a uniform code. Uh, and if you brothers can and stop me if that sounds wrong at any point. No, I mean, you, you're fine, but... That goes back to what I said in the first segment, which is, you know, we don't control 
our money enough to be able to flex that political muscle. We Learning how to flex these muscles is something that we really need to be engaged in. It is, it is, it is hypocritical of us. It is anti-productive of us to not under, not be in a position in this day and time of understanding what our vote and what our dollars mean. So because we don't take those things seriously, those in power don't take us seriously. Mm. How do we how do we how do we turn that tide so quickly and say, okay, you're coming to us in this moment because we know you need us, right? Because Brother Bernie has most of the, the the liberals. He has most of them. He has a, a lot of the youth vote. So. The the rest of the electric electorate are the the mature older for, over forty five folk and African American Latinos. Right. Sister Sister Hillary has a nice number of the female vote. Not all, but a nice number. You know what I'm saying? Right. So how do we then pivot and say, well, this is our moment. We're going to seize upon this if we are so discombobulated. You know. Well, in the meeting that happened last week, the the president of the Urban League was sitting there, and he was smiling and grinning and all about Hillary. Um, NAACP really hasn't come out firmly, but you know where they're leaning. The only person with enough gumption to say, I want to hear what everybody has to say, which is a very smart move on his part, was Al Sharpton. He's the only one. Like I, I haven't endorsed anybody. I'm not endorsing anybody. I want to hear what everyone has to say. He was the only one. Now, these so-called leaders, and I'm going to take it back to Brother Malcolm because that's what Brother Malcolm used to say, but these so-called leaders are selling everyone that looks like them short in order for their pockets to get lined and or for their egos to be stroked, and that is the problem. That is the problem. You know, these these jokers talking about, um, I can't remember if it was the Urban League or it was the NWCB, talking about how they had their under-40 folk um, have a meeting with Hillary after she had a meeting with them. Now, you weren't with us, brother, unfortunately, but, I came to Vegas, what was it, Rodney, two years ago now? And Brother Rodney and I, we covered the NAACP convention when it was in Vegas. And one of the things that I beat him over the head with, day in and day out, were this ain't nothing but a bunch of old damn people. It's a bunch of old damn people. And even the brother that was in charge of the, the, um, I can't remember exactly how they call it, the next generation of leaders or what, however you want, whatever they call them exactly. He was, like, in his 40s. I'm like, are you serious, dog? That needs to be somebody in their 30s talking to somebody, talking to folks who are 18 and approaching his age. And, and, and that joker has to age out. But we have a unique problem in and John Henry Clark, rest his soul, talked about this all the time. Dr. Clark said this all the time. We are so not appreciated in society that once we attain a level of respect and authority, 
we don't know how to give it up to the young folk whose energy we need. And as we get older, we need their energy and they need our guidance. So we need to step aside, allow them to come in to bring the energy, and but still be next to them, giving them our guidance. We don't know how to you know do it. Well, you know what? I agree with you on that. Here's the thing that I've here's the one thing that I've noticed about the NAACP. And, and remember, in, in the first segment, I talked about Ghosts of Mississippi. Part of the reason why a lot of those uh, those people would would do that to our to our folks who were trying to get the right to vote and trying to uh, beat back Jim Crow was that they were stuck in their status. They wanted their status quo to stay the same, and they knew if change would have took place, that means that they were not going to hold some of the positions that they have now. And Brother Rodney mm-hmm. always talks about, uh, you know, he always talks about why he doesn't like nonprofits and things of that nature because he knows a lot of it, it is based in a lot of poverty pimping. A lot of people know, hey, as long as I need these people to come to me for these services, then I am always a king to them. I'm always a god to them because they have to come to me to get the milk and the butter. They have to come to me to get their heating. They have to come to me to get their child care. If you change those things and you uh, get people and you teach people how to fish and they don't have to come to you to eat no more, then you're no longer all those things to those people. And some people are addicted to those things. Uh, They're they're addicted to that status. So what I think was going on with a lot of the old guard in in politics right now is no different than what we saw when David Duke was running for, for, you know, his political seat inside of New Orleans. We're seeing what people have been talking about for years, where if you pay the right person, if you pay the right kind of black folk, those black folk in turn are going to go ahead and go and sell us whatever it is we buy. We see it with our, with our musicians. They do it now. They come out and tell you, hey, drink this uh, Ciroc. This is really puffy. Uh, this is puffies. You know that doesn't that don't belong to Puff Daddy. and Rocker, that belongs to 50 Cent. That don't belong to 50 Cent. They are just the face. They are the people that's advertising. Those are the people that's, that's, that's either investing their money and working for the company at the same time. Let's just think about that. Only black people invest their money and then turn around and become an employee for the things that they put their money into. So that tells you a lot about us and on the political level. This happens so frequently. Now, what I think is happening, in my opinion, I spoke about, I've been speaking about this for a while. I spoke about this last year before Hillary started running. I knew that it was going to come down to the gender divide because black people have now become white. I'm telling you, listen, I'm saying black is the new white. And when I say this, I'm only saying this because we listen to some of the dog whistle stuff more than they do. When we are talking about gender divide amongst our people, when you have some of our sisters, they don't, some, some sisters are only voting for Hillary because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Never mind the fact of the historical, uh, the historical damage that white women have done to black men and women and families overall. Never mind that. Never mind some of we can go and link Hillary directly to some of these things with her husband, Bill Clinton, and she stands, she stands by these things. Um, when you think about this and you think about how we, uh, have, we, we have these people of the old guard who don't want to let go, and then you have this divide, man, it's easy to come in and steal out of the temple, and, and, and politicians know this. Uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, and, and here's the thing. I'm all for critiquing every politician, including Bernie. But I'll say this again. Brother Bernie can come into our communities. We jump on them. We beat them up. Black Lives Matter. Uh, they protest every turn, every stop. 
No one's asking the question, why can't they even get that close to Hillary? Mm. Hillary won't even show up to their events. And if you try that jump with Hillary, remember she is the former first lady, so she has Secret Service everywhere she goes, especially on the campaign trail. You won't get that close to Hillary. She's not going to allow you to get that close to to her. So I I think what's going on with our people is that we need to to, to let our heart get a rest. Stop being all emotional about this. And let's, you know, to quote Dr. Henry Clark, uh, like you did, you know, we got to stop making these bad alliances. We we make these bad alliances we always have as a people. Politically, we need to make the right alliance here. We need to look at not just now, not just making so-called history, but we need to look back and say, what will history say about us if we allow Hillary to come back and destroy our people? What can our kids say about us? Because mm. it's something that Brother Rod- Brother Rodney can attest to. You know, I didn't know in- in- until watching um, the Black Panther thing that was on PBS last week, I didn't know that some of the Panthers were supporting Ronald Reagan when he was running for office. See that that makes I you look at that. things. That makes you look at I things a little bit either. different. See that makes you right. That makes you look at things a little bit different, right? That makes mm-hmm. you look at Eldridge Cleaver a little bit different and say, hmm, Eldridge Cleaver was supporting who? Yeah, he was supporting Ronald Reagan for president. The same Ronald Reagan who who was president when crack cocaine flooded our communities. Some of his policies had destroyed black families. Man, so when you start looking back and you start saying, well, man, who's supporting what? Who supported what bill? Who supported these people? And last but not least, I just want to say this. The Congressional Black Caucus catches a lot of flack from black folk. But I, I just want to remind people. They deserve it. Well, well no, no. They, they, on some, of course, they do. But I, I just want to remind people that one thing that happened when Obama first became president and the Democrats had the House and the Senate and Brother Rodney, you know about this. White Democrats took the CBC to the shed. And they were almost trying to destroy them. And they were trying to indict them on every term possible. They were fighting them more than they were fighting the Republicans. And if you think that they're doing that to them on a political level, and these are your elected officials, what the hell do you think they're going to do to you if you get Hillary Clinton back in there? So let's let's kind of uh, you brothers hit and I was out sending out invites to folks. You brothers hit on a whole lot of stuff. Don't know if we're going to be able to get into all of it before this segment of the show is over. But here's one thing that you know the the show is actually uh, titled today: Nevada Caucus, the Black Vote, and the Black Agenda Unity Show. And I wanted to throw that the black vote in there because I wanted to let the people in South Carolina know, include and especially black people in South Carolina, know what happened here in Nevada so that you would be prepared. But since the caucus for South Carolina, you know, it, it's, it's right up, it's a pun of that. There's going to be, a, you know, we got Michigan, you know, we got uh, Colorado, 
we have a whole bunch of states in the South which has large black populations. I wanted to talk about the black vote. And we can relate that to what happened in Nevada because in Nevada, it was the black vote, as we discussed in the first segment, that gave this win to Hillary, to Secretary Clinton, to Hillary Clinton. As a matter of fact, the turnout here was very small. It was less than 12,000 participants, active participants mm-hmm. in the caucus, less than mm-hmm. 12,000. Now, there's 80,000, well, there's over 100,000 black people alone. There's over roughly 200 and I believe 50 to 270,000 veterans. So we have a population of roughly somewhere between 2.2 and 2.5 million people. Obviously about 60% of them are not voting eligible. But we have a huge population of people and less than 12,000 showed up to caucus. Now, leading up to the caucus, I heard a lot of talk in the media of how difficult it is to caucus. Well, brothers, first of all, let me tell you, it is not difficult to caucus. You come into the room, you get there before 12 o'clock, you sign in. Anyone who's on the line at 12 o'clock still gets to come in. The door is closed, locked. Nobody else can come in. You go into your precinct, and the process starts. They read a bunch of letters if you choose to do so, and then they count the people in the room. That's it. They count the people in the room. So if you have 100 people in your room, then they count 100 people. And then they use .15, basically 15%, to determine how many people you need to have to be viable. In other words, can you stand alone as a group? So once they have that number, then they say, okay, uh, you can have someone come in and haul for Hillary or and haul for Bernie or whoever the candidates are. Then you get it, say, okay, everybody that is for Secretary Clinton, stand over here in this corner. Everyone who's for Senator Bernie Sanders, stand over here in this corner. All undecided, stand in the middle of the room. They may put them in another corner for this uh, scenario I'm using, but stand in the middle of the room. Okay, we had one undecided person in our caucus. So, okay, we determined that we have X amount of people here for Bernie, X amount of people here for Hillary, and we have one undecided. Well, because we have one undecided and we need a number greater than one for that undecided to be viable, and, of course, we can't have undecided anyway, then, okay, both sides, the Hillary side and the Bernie side, gets to talk to that individual. In this case, it was a young lady, and try to sway her to come to either Hillary or Bernie. So the way we did it, and we decided we were going to do it, some people say it's not democratic. It's very democratic because all the decisions are done by what do we want to do. So Hillary, Secretary Clinton's people first talked to the young lady, and then after that, Senator Sanders' people talked to the young lady. 
Now, my group chose me to go and talk to the young lady. And ultimately, she decided to come to the Bernie side. Then the count was done again to make sure everything was right, and they have a big piece of paper that goes up on a board that you document all of this stuff on. And then the amount of delegates. In our case, we had 10 delegates. Of our 10 delegates, six delegates were awarded to Secretary Clinton, and four delegates were awarded to Senator Sanders. And once that was done, we were done. That was it. The numbers were uh, called in. And our precinct caucus was open. It took roughly, it took longer to to get in because the line was like outside the door and into the parking lot. It took longer to get into our caucus location than it actually did to go through the caucus procedure. Yeah. That was it. That that's all it is to it. So a caucus is not well. Hopefully you all. Put see that the caucus is not that difficult. But the media made it out that it was a difficult thing. And I remember calling some people, asking, reminding them the caucus, and they were saying, I don't know, that might be too complicated for me. So what had been, a, it's, it's like a seed had been, or pre-thought, had been planted in some people's minds to dissuade them from caucus. And he said, nah, that's too complicated. It's going to take up too much time and I don't want to give up that much time. I, I'm not going. Mm. And those things we have, one of the reasons for having this show is I wanted to share how the caucus works, that it's not difficult. It is not hard. It is not an extreme amount of math. As long as you've got a phone, you can do the math. The formula is on the sheet. All you have to do is follow it to determine what determines viability or not. And that's it. So, that was the first thing was to dispel the rumor that the caucus was difficult. Uh, some people said, well, I like having an anonymous vote. Now, personal preference, everybody's entitled to. But when people said because it's more democratic, that I would say I'm, that's up for discussion because everything that we did was democratic by majority rules. Everything mm-hmm. that we did was there was a discussion. One of the great things about a caucus is I got to meet some neighbors I didn't even know I had. <laughs> <laughs> and and they got to meet me. And then I found out there were a lot of military in the community in which I live in. And there were even That's because you live in the woods. Whatever. And uh and then there was people who uh, were on the opposing side that I actually had we had a chance to discuss things with. They shared some things with me. I shared some things with them. A couple of things I shared with them they were not aware of, and that caused them to change. So I I thought that was the beauty of the caucus, is that actually you do get a chance to to sort of communicate with your fellow electorate. But I know that some people still prefer the primary, and that's okay. The young people really like the caucus. And the first year when I did the caucus, I noticed the young people because they got engaged. They had a chance to talk. They had a chance to ask questions. The people who were a little more seasoned in the process had a chance to share. It was actually a coming together of the young and the old, as you brothers mentioned earlier. So I thought that the caucus, uh, the caucus process, 
due to the media, had been blown up to be something that it wasn't. And then once people actually got into the corporate process, it, it slowed. Now, were there some people who tried to miscount? Yes. And there always is. That's why, you know, the candidates tell you, hey, make sure you follow the count, use a video camera, use your regular camera, take pictures, just in case we need to, you know, go back and litigate something afterwards. And that was all done. As a matter of fact, I have a picture of, the, of our score sheet. So I just want I, w- I wanted to make sure everybody understood that the caucus, though it did have an amazingly low turnout, I was very disappointed in the turnout. So my area, the school I was in, the parking lot was full. But overall, the caucus was pretty small. Now, in that small caucus of total uh, people who participated, there was about 500 people. There was about a 500 difference in the totals. So in other words, this could have easily been swung one way or the other simply by having more people participate. Now, here's a message for the black voters out there. It wouldn't have taken too many more of you to come to the caucus to either vote for Hillary Clinton to give her a wider margin of victory, and it wouldn't have taken but maybe a couple of hundred to come out and vote for Bernie Sanders to bring it almost to parity. And maybe maybe a couple more hundred for a victory, a, a good-sized victory. When people say that their vote does not count, in a caucus, in a caucus, I think in everything, but for sure in a caucus, your vote does count. As a matter of fact, your vote is magnified because there's such a small turnout. So for you Hillary Clinton supporters who thought she was going to win by 15 or 20 points, she could have maybe if more of you would have turned out. For you Bernie Sanders supporters who are disappointed in the loss, well, I say that you should be disappointed if you if you need to be disappointed. For those of you who didn't show up, be disappointed in yourself. And then the final thing is some people said that they were voting for a candidate because they felt that the other candidate could not win. And what I reminded them is that our current POTUS, still in office, two-term president, initially we were told he could not win, and now he is a two-term president that has quite a few accomplishments under his belt with a hostile Congress. So never believe the only reason why your candidate cannot win is if the people who believe in that candidate does not come out, vote, caucus for that candidate. So that's a message for my South Carolinian brothers and sisters. That's a message to all of the people in the upcoming elections, and specifically to black people who this thing about your vote doesn't count is often pushed in our community and suppresses the vote. That is a voter suppression tactic. It is akin to a poll tax when they say that. Your vote does count. Look how close the race was here in Nevada. Look how close the race was in Iowa. We're talking point something. Very close. So if you're not registered, go and register. I want to hit on another topic because I found many brothers and sisters 
and young people in general were nonpartisan. And I understand the philosophy. I'm a middle-of-the-road type of guy. But I had in the caucuses and in the primaries, most of them, because some states are different, because, you know, these elections are run by local government. In the, the system, not only do they say that your vote doesn't count to try to dissuade you uh, from voting, but in Nevada, it was a closed caucus, and there are some closed primaries. So what that means is the only person that could vote in the Democratic caucus, participate in the Democratic caucus, were people who were registered Democrats. Well, a lot of our young people in general and a lot of younger African Americans are registered as nonpartisan. Well, nonpartisan, you cannot vote. But they had the same day registration. So you could have come in a Republican, you could have come in a nonpartisan, and you could have registered to caucus as a Democrat. Now, you could change that again later, but for the, to, in order to participate, and the reason why I say it is because we need your participation. A lot of people said, hey, I'm going to vote in the general election. I said, who are you going to vote for? They told me their preference. I said, well, how do you know that that person will be there for you to vote for if you do not caucus for them? Or for those of you in the upcoming primaries, if you do not vote for the candidate, candidate that you think is best for the job in the primary and caucus time frame, you may not have that candidate to vote for in the general election. So there's something, there some food for thought for those brothers and sisters and, and a fellow Americans who are not registered as a Democrat or a Republican. If you have a preference, you need to vote for that register and vote according to your, whatever your, your guidance is for that person so that you'll be able to have them to vote for in the general election. Um, brothers, I want you to chew on that for a minute, and we have another uh, guest joining us today. This is Franklin Burley. I've known him as Franklin G. from the host of Like It Is Radio. Lee, this is w one of your neighbors. Welcome to Our Own Voices Live, the Unity Show. Franklin, how are you? Well, great. Thanks uh, for uh, sorry for being so late. I just got stuck in the studio doing stuff. Uh, but uh, yes, it's great. You guys are dialoguing, and you know people need to get out and participate and do the American thing that we're allowed to do at this point. Just well, participating in your, voting and caucusing. What was your overview of the caucus process here in Nevada? Well, seeing that only twenty five percent of the people turn out, uh, you know that's a high number for Vegas, you know, but. 25% turned out, but overwhelmingly, I guess, where I live, uh, there are a lot of, uh, let's just say, dominant society women who are seizing the moment in the flavor of uh, the first woman. So while there may have been some good vibes for Bernie, just the numbers that she was able to bring out made that difficult. So that would be my overall take. She was able to produce what her base is, you know, middle-aged white women, out. Mm. Now, what's interesting about the dynamics of this election cycle with, on the Democratic side with Hillary and, and Bernie is that in New Hampshire, Bernie Sanders received over 55% of the female vote, which we would think should be Hillary. In the Nevada caucus, 
Bernie Sanders won the majority of the votes from women 45 and under. And obviously Secretary Clinton won those 46 and over. So what we're seeing is a slight generational divide, uh, even with females on Bernie Sanders. It's it's funny, but I guess – they want theirs, so they're going to get theirs, and they're overwhelmingly the participating mass, so to speak, regardless of the fact that he's etched away at different smaller segments. And then there's a lot of black people who just ain't uh, feeling the burn, you know? So uh, that's the reality that black people, I saw, uh, were still caucusing for Hillary. I don't know if you, did you see that too, Rodney? Well, in my neighborhood, there wasn't, I think there might have been one other black person in my caucus site besides me. So, <laughs> I, well, I can take that back. There was two. One was undecided, and she came over to the Bernie side, and then the other was a, a Hillary uh, supporter. That's because you live in the woods. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Here we go. Well, well, anything so, over the George Washington Bridge is in the woods. Mm. <laughs> see, see, Brother Barry, see, see, what I, see what I deal with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brother, I'm, I'm hearing they getting on you. You know, you know what? I, I do want to say this. What I thought was what I what I found shocking uh, was that right after the primary, and, and brother Rodney's kind of touching on this. We haven't really went into it enough. They were not talking about how the Af- even though we know the African American vote was the deciding factor in South of Vegas. They were not talking about the need to get more of our vote. They were talking about the Latino vote. And I think that says a lot about us because when people think that, you know, Republicans say this a lot. Hey, we don't waste our money going into your communities because we already know uh, your leaders are already in the bag for the Democrats. That's wasted money. Mm -hmm. They don't want to spend the money. And I'm almost thinking with Bernie, Bernie's thing is, well, you know, and then brother uh, came on and he said the thing, hey, some black people are not feeling Bernie. Well, what what happens is when that becomes the word, then it starts be- becoming, well, if we can't get them and you're going to automatically give your vote to Hillary, and Hillary going to take you for granted, anyway, I need to focus on the people who I can get. And that's dangerous for us. We, we you know, um, you know, I noticed 10 years ago that white people were moving uh, in, in heavy numbers to independent status. And part of that was they wanted to get their vote courted. They wanted politicians to come out and tell them what will they do for those so-called in, the so-called independent group that's going to win them over. Black people, we have to use that power. We have to start using that more. And uh, one more thing I would say is that low turnout in voting normally help those people who are pushing corporate agendas. They want mm-hmm. that. That's the, that's the strategy. So whether it's the primary, whether it's uh, caucusing, or whether it's the national elections, they want low, low turnouts. Hillary Clinton is going to benefit by low voter turnout. She knows that. She knows that if people you know, start bumping into more people like Rodney Smith and having conversations about some of the policies that she supported in the past, then that's going to turn voters against her. So what Bernie Sanders and his people need to do, and this is seriously, you know, Bernie, um, you know, Bernie has to get a little bit savvier or his, his uh, not Bernie, I don't want to get on Bernie. I want to say his, his, 
campaign manager needs to get a little bit more savvier. And what I would have done was I would have been trying to talk to some of the, the, the youth, uh, the youthful leaders inside of Vegas and everywhere else to try to get them to get energized. Because the thing that you have to do is you have to get people energized. You have to get the, you know, I, I live in a state where Jesse Ventura, the former wrestler, was the governor. And that was all done based off the youth vote. Now, the funny thing about that is once Jesse got into office, he killed uh, financial aid on the state level for those same college students that voted for him. But he only got in because of the collegiate vote. So uh, Bernie's people are going to have to get uh, savvy on that level, and they're going to have to really uh, press for the black vote, and black people are going to have to get savvy. And we got to stop saying that, hey, we're just going to give this vote to Hillary because Bill played, uh, you know, uh, saxophone on Arsenio Hall with the sunglasses. Mm-hmm. That's not a good Which I said earlier, but hold on. Be- before we get too far from it, and I think this is very important, that we keep our eye on the prize all the way all the way around because the the, the national election is all a setup from our independent local elections. And right. we need to vote at every stage of the game. And I brought this up on my show, and if you all aren't hip to it, I'm going to hip you to it right now. But if you're not hip to it, House Bill 757 is something that, if, if you don't know about, please get familiar. House Bill 757 is going through the state of Georgia right now. And it's a, it's a Freedom of Religion Act. And, and Rodney, you know, let the hair stand down on your neck. It is what it is to be what it be. But this this whole thing is has been the two additional pieces of legislation that have been attached to it, the Pastor Protection Act and the Freedom of Religion Act. I believe that's what it, the other piece that is called. But one major corporation has already decided to relocate because of it. It passed the House unanimously, 161 votes to zero. It hit the Senate, and it it got snagged a little bit, but not by much. It passed like 673 to 14, some crap like that. It's aimed at not holding pastors accountable if they don't want to perform same-sex marriages, not forcing... Uh, religious institutions from renting out their halls for same-sex marriages, but also allowing businesses to stay open, I'm sorry, to stay closed on Saturdays and Sundays if it's a conflict with their religious uh, practices. And and in addition to that, allowing businesses who are publicly funded to deny services to gay and lesbian folk whom – um, are deemed by them to be in direct conflict with their goal and their their mission statement. Crazy. Crazy, I say, because if you've never been to Atlanta, <laughs> I don't understand how no person in this, the house from Atlanta, from, Deca- from Decatur, from um uh, what else is right there? East Point, College Park. None of them jokers said no to this. This is your constituency. You are totally voting against your constituency. I that I I don't get. It's craziness. It's crazy. But this is this is yet another instance when folks were sleeping at the wheel 
and not voting people in who had their best interest in heart at heart. And this is what they're getting. This is what they're getting. So Lee, um, just you know, kind of encapsulates that that a little bit because you said how what is the pro and con towards black people? How does this impact us one way or the other? The pro, okay, the, the con. The con is this allows that crack to then say, well, if we can get away with discriminating against gays and lesbians, who else can we discriminate against next? We just got to play, we got to play the word game. We got to do the verbiage and then we can go back to rewinding the clock and potentially getting back to the 40s, 50s, and 60s, Jim Crow. Mm. Bringing it back in full full force and full effect. <clears throat> that, but, that's uh, the biggest con. The, the, the term uh, maybe uh, we need to look at it from uh, uh, Marcus Garvey sort of thought in terms of when you say Jim Crow, those were laws. But if you look at the advent of Jim Crow and its integration, if it forces communities, which it did in segregation times, to have their own, that means the gay community, when they're locked out, if that's an establishment they like, they should create another. Uh, we, should, we look at that when we have integration. We lost something, so maybe that would force us as a community, if we're being discriminated outwardly, as we mm-hmm. are now, if they're discriminating against us with the dollar, wouldn't that bring the dollars in advantageous individuals like myself and you and say, well, we'll create our own? That's what we, we all do that anyway. I mean, you have a show, I have a show. We are creating our own. I think that's one of the dilemmas we have to examine. What did we get by assimilation and integration? We had black doctors, black butchers, black... We, we don't even make shoelaces now. So <laughs> it, when, when I look at that, and being a West Indian, I think that's what's happening and that what, 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 what does happen. Because we're seeing the same thing in the continent of Africa. Because they can get help from somebody else, the Chinese, the Russian, everybody's building roads and building white Jesus for them. You've got to control the image. So we have to look at that. If it does happen in this, it's talking about a Trump election, that, would, may that, could that be beneficial for us? Well, you know, you, you can look at it in that, in that way and say it might be beneficial, but... You know, I, I I believe in you know we're a different kind of folk than what we used to be. We used mm-hmm. to be a resilient people. You remember you you know I know growing up in the eighties, man, if your leg or your couch broke, nobody went out and bought <laughs> no new furniture. They went out and found some bricks and they propped the bricks up, the, the furniture up on the bricks and said, look, man, yo that 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 stuff is good for another five to ten years. You know we don't need to do that. Uh, you know you you didn't go buy a new TV until your old TV went out. Now we buy TVs just because they got a new feature on it, you know, picture in, picture out, or 3D, you know. Uh, We're a different kind of folk than what we used to be. Uh, A lot of it is because we drank the Kool-Aid, and and I believe in some sense, you know, forcing us to to be more responsible um, for how we look at things might help, but then again, it could destroy us at the same time. To flip that, you know, let's go to Dr. King and what Dr. King was saying. You know, Dr. King looked at it from his aspect. He said, look, man, we're citizens of this country. You know, everything about us, you know, you know, we, yeah, we're Africans. But, you know, African-Americans, man, we got a different experience. You know, we, we are pretty much America, if you, if you look at it. And with that, you know, with everybody else who, who came to this country, immigrants from Europe, 
uh, during the 1920s, from, from the 1880s all the way to the 1920s. You know, this country gave land grants. They did all kinds of things to prop these people up to help the country keep going. I believe, you know, uh, I believe in this. I believe as long as you're paying taxes, anything you're putting your money down on, you should be getting proper representation. Now, with that proper representation, you know, voting is quid pro quo. Uh, uh, you know, if, if you're voting, hey, the politicians should be giving you something for your vote. What we're constantly getting is black people. We're being told by white politicians as well as black people in general, uh, well, there is no black agenda. No, that's not true. That, you know, long before I even, you know, met Brother Rodney, who always said what black people want, I remember Brother Tavis Smiley. He uh, he wrote a book called The Covenant, and they laid out yep. a lot of things that black people needed. And what yep. happened as soon as we got President Obama in is we turned that brother into public enemy number one. Well, well while we're turning yeah, him into public he, enemy he, number he, one, and he's, you know, detailed and went around the country to find out what our people want, Gay folks was pushing their agenda, and me and Brother Rodney have had uh, numerous conversations about that, right? So they pushed their agenda. I think what's important right now in politics, moving forward, I don't care if it's another black president, a female president, a Bernie Sanders, a Donald Trump, or whomever. In order for us as black folks to move forward, anything that we have, we have to u- we have to utilize it. Our vote is power. But we have to concentrate our vote and say, look, I might not dig Donald Trump, but he did promise and say that he, he, he will deliver on this, this, and this. Now, I'm not saying vote for Trump, but I'm saying that you have to hold these politicians, uh, you have to hold their feet to the fire and say, hey, a vote for you, this is what it's going to mean for me. And if we do not get that, you know, we got to be like the Tea Party in a sense. During midterms, when when white people are not voting, you're going to see a crazy black turnout. And we'll put in the congressmen and women that we want to give us what we want. And we have to take that stance. Uh, we have to start investing our money like we invest in all of these. Uh, they, you know, every time you go to the store, they always got these clubs they want you to, you know, these consumer clubs that they want you to, you know, uh, put money on so you can get discounts. We have to start doing that in politics, too. We have to start investing on this next level of thinking. And I, I think, uh, brothers, I think it's time for us to mature in the game of politics. I, I, I think what you're seeing and we're being exposed, it seems like every time it comes around to election time, as a people collectively, we are not ready. We are not pushing an agenda. And every other group outside of us are. And that is just the, the the glaring hole in what's going on right now. Well, the the other thing, the other side of that though, is there's a false sense of disunity. What I mean by that is no group of folks are homogeneous, and I understand that. But that doesn't mean that we still cannot, as a majority, it doesn't have to be a whole. As a majority, hold folks accountable. To certain truths that every other group wants for themselves, you know what I'm saying number one being we don't want our children shot by cops and just getting away with it i mean that's a that's an easy one you know what I'm saying right. let's, let, let's just take that as a very easy one uh 
So if you are a police officer, a law enforcement officer, there's no hate there, but your ass needs to go on trial just like everybody else who shoots someone. There's no, you know, um, taking the money and run. No, I'm going to sue you. I don't want to sue you for the money because I'm going to get the money no matter what. I'm going to sue you first to put this son of a gun in jail. That bastard needs to go. Then I'm going to come back at you, and I want the money. So let's stop falling for the okey-doke in the trick bag because Mm. if you come for the money first, part of that settlement is going to be you cannot sue the municipality for, um, for anything else. You know what I'm saying? Or you can't go after the officer or whatever. No, you want that joker shield, you want that joker in jail, and then you want them to give you some money for your pain, well, your suffering, so on and so forth. That, that, that could Brother be a Franklin, platform. were you trying to jump in? Yeah, I said that could be a platform that uh, I had addressed with the Hillary people and also with Bernie Sanders himself because I didn't get that close to Hillary. But in any event, uh, I served in the Marine Corps. As I, I know there's some servicemen on the phone there, Rodney. We had in the service what? what's called the uniform. Hello, can you hear me? Yep, gotcha. Okay. No, he said who? We have we we have what's called the Uniform Code of Justice. Code of Military Justice. So whatever happens in Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, the adjudication of the crime and its investigation, as we see with CSI and these popular shows, they do the same thing. There's a there's a certain liturgy to it. So that's what has to be our national or could be a national platform. There has to be a uniform code of police involved shootings and it's investigations that result in death. Like, whatever mm. happens, like, similar to a rape kit, there's a, when, it, when you open it up, you know what's in it. Same thing, like, when, I get, when you got your combat missions, you went, got the things you needed, you knew what you needed because it was already specified because we had to carry these things and things of that nature. It's already formatted. You couldn't ask for an extra shotgun, no, because it slows down your mobility. You don't need that bit of walkie-talkie because there's no communication. So as they have to go through these things to find the finest way, Whatever happens in New York when a young man or a person involved in a police shooting that results in death is the same thing that happens in Kentucky. It's the same thing that could happen in Ohio. And that, that's what we need to do is separate it. That could be an African-American national platform because they're starting to do that already in terms of New York has a special prosecutor that's hired by the governor to investigate these things. The same thing I trying to believe they're trying to do in Kentucky. But at the other end of it, what they're also doing is placing financial parameters on its misgivings that you can't sue for $2 million. The most they're going to give you for an involved kind of thing like that is to make an airline, you know, on an airline. If you're 25 years old, you're a college graduate, they'll give your family $50,000. If you had a master's degree, they gave you 53000 There's no negotiation because that's what they've done. They know systemically. So it's the same thing. If Whatever happens in Kentucky happens in Iowa, happens in Florida, and it's by the state, by investigation of the state. You gotta have the mm. same pictures, the same resources, the same everything. Then that will force the the, the work environment of policing to be better. Mm. You know, so, that's yeah, on, that I'm note, out there. on that note, I just want to take a brief station ID. You're listening to our own voices live. This is our special unity show, and our topic of discussion is Nevada Caucus, the Black Vote, and the Black Agenda, and all three of those things actually go hand in hand. We have a situation here in Nevada where the black vote was the swing vote. We have a situation in South Carolina 
where the black vote is the swing vote. Hillary or Bernie will win because of the black vote. How do we use our voting power? Now, keep in mind that power is potential power until you use it. And if you never use your potential power, it then becomes a waste. It was of no benefit. So we actually have the power. Now, when the pundits talk about the power, they'll say, well, Hillary Clinton's firewall. They don't say the black vote or black power. They say Hillary Clinton's firewall. Or they'll say Hillary Clinton has the black, as in Nevada, has the black vote nailed down. So I'd ask you, gentlemen, this potential power that we have, one, was it you in Nevada, and what do we have to do to use it in places like South Carolina? we got Michigan coming up. Uh, we're going to have uh, some other places down south that has a large black electorate of about 35% or more, which is more than enough to swing an election. What, what, would, what would that message be for those black voters? Franklin, you mentioned having like a uniform code of military justice, but for police shootings, uh, Lee, you talked about some legislation that was going through in, uh, I believe it was Georgia. Uh, Brother Barry, you, you talked about us basically participating. So give, me, give those people, the electorate in general, but especially those black brothers and sisters who are having these uh, elections right around the corner, throw out something that you think would be beneficial for them to know. Wow. I mean, you know, these brothers, uh, you know, especially uh, Brother Franklin, he, he just laid out something that I, I think is, man, you know, that that's really the flavor of the, of the time right now is the black-on-black, black, you know, the, the, the murders. I was about to say black-on-black black crime, but I was incorrect. Uh, the, the murders that's going on with black men and black youth around the country, that's that's the flavor right now. That should be the head conversation that we should be having and I've heard Hillary drop those uh, lines. I mean, l- listen, you know, just like they know that white folks have dog whistle topics, they know we have dog whistle topics. They know that they can do superficial things uh, to to support those topics. The only thing that you can do as an African-American is if you're going to vote for either one of them, go and look at their records. Go look at the things that they supported. Go look at some of the previous statements. That's the one thing that we have to do as a people. This is the information age, but it's also the misinformation age. A lot of misinformation, a lot of things that are out that are just not true. And, you know, the one thing, uh, Brother Rodney, uh, I believe that uh, you touched on and Brother Levon touched on is this whole thing about when people just say, well, you know, Bernie just can't win. You know, he, Mm -hmm. he can't win the general election. That's almost like saying, hey, if you vote for Bernie, now this is the code. If you vote for Bernie, that vote for Bernie is a vote for who? Well, that vote is a vote for uh, Donald Trump. Well, look, we know people are opposed to Trump, but we know at the same time, let, let, let's be real. I saw John. Now, now, we all remember John Kerry. John Kerry's a good guy, you know. Ain't too much you can say really bad about John Kerry. I mean, a lot of policies that he supported that we probably won't support. But let's be real. John Kerry wasn't going to be George Bush. But they told us all that if you voted for Howard Dean, that was pretty much putting George Bush in. We So people voted for John Kerry. John Kerry, got he got mopped by Bush. 
he was a hero, and he he's just not a fighter. And since he wasn't a fighter, it made him look he, he looked more like a pariah than anything else on the one thing that he should have had the advantage of. Now I'm bringing that so up to say this. So, so brother Barry, I just want to encapsulate this. So, are you saying that when people say a candidate can't win, the message is the only way he can't win is if you want to vote for him and don't vote for him or her? That that's exactly what I'm saying, brother. I'm saying, you know. When, when when they say that a candidate can't win, my thing is that that's unproven. You know, there's no such thing as a candidate can't win. Uh, you know, the, everybody has a fair shot to win. Barack Obama, like you brought up, they said he couldn't win. I'm saying don't listen to the media. Don't listen to the hype machine. Don't don't believe what they're telling you about who can and can't win. The more the, the best effective thing that we can do as citizens is go out and do our own investigation. By doing your own okay. investigation, by going out, listening to the policies, listening not only to the rhetoric of what they're saying they have, they will do. Go back and look and see what they have done. And if you see that they haven't done much, then you know who to cast your vote for. That's what I say. Because all the other policy things that's on the loom, you know, those things can be effective. But I, I, I tell you, man, I've I seen Bernie Sanders' record. And uh, from where I stand, Bernie has been on the up and up, not just with black folks, but also with, 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 the, with common people in this country. Okay. All yeah. right. So, brother, brother Franklin, what what would you uh, what would you suggest to those folks in these upcoming uh, elections uh, to to do to ensure that the candidate of their choice gets it? Well, just as you said, listen, listen. That's all you can do is listen, because uh, even uh, the best of them, uh, they're throwing everything at you. You know, like they got John Lewis saying, "I I never seen him." And, and things of that nature. You, you can't listen to the people around the topics. You got to look at the person who does the topics. And even though Bernie's uh, may not be saying everything, all I need is one thing. And he's addressed uh, at least the thought that there's an inequity in business, and so that inequity impacts the least vulnerable, the most vulnerable, who are black people. And he's willing to talk about. It. So he's creating a dialogue. It may not be solution, but I always believe in you got to talk for it before she before she's gonna dance with you. You got to ask her. You know, maybe once or twice, maybe three times. But uh, I, I don't hear anything that uh, Mrs. Mrs. Clinton is currently saying to me that I hadn't heard before. And I still remember back in the day when I was in school, and she called some of my friends. She said, "And I don't." She said, "They're super predators. They're not just criminals. They're mm. super predators." And that, to me, incited in her psyche. That's how she sees. But that's how she saw a young 15-year-old the same way that cops saw Trayvon Martin that way, the same way they see us. They, they don't see young men. They see monsters. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's just what it is because at some age, this young man does become physically impressive because of slavery, you know, where we're just built better. But at that point, he's not just a thug. He's not just a criminal. There's other terms. She called young African-American men of this generation super predators. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I guess I was one, but I was the educated hoodlum. You know, I just stayed in school long enough. You know, but so many of my brothers got caught up in that, and I, I learned it's, it's language. It's what they say, but before they think it has impact. You know what I mean? 
So she thought she was going to be, you know, I'm going to lock everybody up and we're scared of these young black men. And that's what she said. And it was around she the same time she said, that she, she said that they need, needed to make us heal. Right. She, she, talked, right. she talked about us like we were dogs. And that should never be right. forgotten. Right. Donald Trump did the same thing. with the, It was all around the Central Park Jogger. He was like, they need to bring back the death penalty and execute them. Now we know those young five men were railroaded into jail. So, you see, before it had impact, that's what she said. So now I remember that. That's where I stand. And luckily enough, Bernie okay. had to put his foot in his mouth. <laughs> so, Brother you know. Lee, what what would you suggest? I mean, it's, it's, it's your... In- it's coming to your neck of the woods now. What would you suggest to those folks back there from the experience here in Nevada and also from what you've seen so far? Vote. Get up, get out, vote. Don't sit at home thinking that your vote doesn't count. Actually get up, get out, and vote. And if someone needs a ride, pick them up, take them to the polls, have them vote with you. But vote. Now, I, I want to throw, I had a chance. So Hillary's folks, they came to our gathering, and I asked them the same thing, that Hillary didn't come, and nor did she invite me to any of her events. Uh, Bernie Sanders sent people or people from his campaign came to visit with um, my folks at, at the gathering and, and at other venues multiple times, which was impressive to me because it showed he was, he was reaching out to our community. And I had a chance to ask Senator Sanders directly. I mean, not through a surrogate, not through a campaign staffer, but the senator himself. I said, Senator Sanders, if you became president, would you support the integration and incorporation of African-American history slash culture throughout all curriculum in all publicly funded schools, pre-K through 12, colleges, universities, and other institutions of higher learning. And I quoted uh, Dr. Carter G. Woodson from his book, The Miseducation of the Negro. And before I could get the words out of my mouth, he said yes. And then he went on to explain Explain why that was important I then had a chance to caveat And I said Would you be willing I didn't say he had to I asked him would he just be willing To sign an executive order And direct his secretary of education To do what he could On the federal level To implement this across the nation Because you know Our our school systems are governed uh, locally, but the feds do have impact due to the funding, and he said yes, he would he would do that. Now, when I asked the Hillary Clinton people the same question, you know how I said before I could get it fully out of my mouth with Senator Bernie Sanders, I couldn't fully get it out of my mouth before they told me no. Mm. And then, as I continued to to press the question. Then they they took the no back, and they said, well, the school system is run by local government. And then they commenced to give me what they thought was a civic class on how government works. And I just compared the two on just that. Because as we talk about 
uh, crime and how they see us, how, how people see us as creatures, as beasts. A lot of that comes because of our education system. Mm-hmm. Just like Dr. Carter G. Woodson said, how, through our education system, the majority population learns that black Africans contributed nothing to the greatness of this country and, for that matter, contributed nothing to the development of the rest of the world. In other words, we just were there freeloaded. And then what it tells black people is the same thing. All that you have is due to other people who create the state of superiority on one side and inferiority on the other side, and then a level of terror where you start calling people super predators based off of something that wasn't even true. Mm. And Senator Sanders jumped on it and said yes. Now, what I'm suggesting to the folks in South Carolina and all the rest, this is to Americans. And the reason why I say this is, now, you would say, well, Rodney, that's a black issue. Well, first of all, black people are Americans, right? So that makes it an American issue. And also throughout the history of this country, throughout the history of this country, when black people have gained, all people have gained. We are the tide that lifts all boats. It's kind of funny how when the politicians talk about it, they talk about what they do for this group or that group and how it's going to help, you know, to trickle down. But historically, that is not accurate. It is what happens to black people that lifts the boats of other people, whether it's our Latino, Hispanic brothers and sisters who are really Afro-Latino, whether whether it's our... LGBTQQPI brothers and sisters, they will tell you as soon as you ask that all they did was the civil rights movement and digitize it, modernize it, and tweak it to their goals, and that's why they were able to make such inroads into the things that they want. So I guess what I'm saying is Brother Franklin from Like It Is Radio said we need some form of uniform uh, uh, uniform code of military justice for these criminal acts by police force. So there's a suggestion for you folks that when they come to you and they ask what you want, and even if they don't ask, you tell them what you want, is you tell them that you want to have something set up so that across the board there are certain things that are going to happen to ensure that we get justice and it's not like Richard Pryor said, just us in the jail. And then the thing that I'm suggesting that you say is you let them know that biases start as early as three years of age. And if they're not taught at home, they're surely taught in schools by the very nature of our education system. And if we want to start changing the minds of future generations, then we have to do it at the most basic level, which is our education system curriculum, to change it from a Eurocentric to a just real knowledge of what actually did happen. That includes, obviously, if we were the first man and woman on earth, that means everything came from us. So those are at least and everyone that you've got. And, and everyone, you're exactly right. So those are at least two things that I hope that you all have gotten out of, of the conversation today. You know, a part of the, the discussion was the black agenda. So there's two things for your black agenda. 
I, I do want to say this before I, I move on to someone else and something else, is that when Bernie Sanders' people came to meet with us, they asked two questions right off the bat. They said, one, they said, what is it that you need? That was the first question. What is it that you need? And then they said, because maybe what we think you need isn't what you really need. So we want you to tell us what you need, what you, what you, what's, on, what's your agenda. Now, of course, I kind of had to hold my head down for a minute because I was like, oh, you, you're looking for our agenda? Now, we've been working on an agenda for some years, so I had one. But I thought, how many other people would be able to pull that agenda out just like that and would be prepared when that question is asked? And then the second question they asked us is they said, okay, we want to meet all of your leaders. Well, can you say who your leaders are? Hmm. So those those are some lessons learned from the experience here. What, what do you brothers have? Uh, well, the I'll leadership – now I, I'll say this, and then I gotta go. Um, uh, remember, we we crossed a couple of time zones to do this whole thing, and it's getting late here on the East Coast. But um, the leadership piece is what I spoke to you earlier. You know, these so-called leaders have been bought, paid for, and they're they're stuffed in most people's pockets already. Um, right. Th- these cats wouldn't know an original thought, an idea, if it came sat on their desk sent them a text, a tweet, and posted on their Facebook page. This is not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? It's just not because they are so programmed to follow versus lead. They don't know what what real leadership looks like. Uh, And as as we spoke to earlier, they are so afraid of losing those leadership positions, those quote-unquote leadership positions, that they are, in, in effect, frozen from doing anything out of the the norm or the box or what what have you, because they are in fear of losing their status. Uh, leadership does not fear losing status. Leadership understands that uh, its its status is constant as long as it's servicing its people. Uh, so that that's a lost cause. But I would hope that we unify enough to be able to put uh, a strong agenda forward so that our vote not only counts, but it matters. Black votes matter. Ah, that's a nice little, hey, we might want to slot, we might want to start that hashtag if I started already, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But black votes do matter, and, you know, we need to go out there and we need to vote, and we need to... As Brother Barry said, we need to understand who we're voting for and why we're voting for them and vote folks in just like we vote them out during the time when others are sleeping during the midterms. Huge turnout, vote folks in, they will get a sense. Can't let it can't allow it to be a one off though, because it will be viewed as just a one off if it just happens once. So when that second time when it happens again, it's like, Oh snap, these jokers are serious. And it may take six years, but that six years is better than the past 30, 40 years that we've had full of the crap that we've been getting. Hmm. Okay, right on. Well, Brother Lee is going to have to roll out. 
He is our Far East Coast listener. And thank you so much, brother, for being a part of this Unity show and a hope, hopefully a powerful show, uh, especially during this election cycle. Uh, brother, give them your, the information for your show, if you know what the topic is going to be Saturday and how they can uh, reach you. Well, right now we're, we're running with um, the fallout from South Carolina and Nevada, uh, whatever happens throughout the week, because the show is based off of the hot topics during the week. We'll include those in. The the radio established to address life, also known as Real Radio, is the name of the show. It is live Saturday mornings from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, that's Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If it's Saturday morning, we are keeping it real. You all take care. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Appreciate your time yeah. tonight. Uh, uh, brother Franklin. Yes, sir. You came up with your uniform code of military justice, and we're gonna have to come. We're gonna have to figure out how we can turn that into a catchy uh, phrase for this uh, Black Lives uh, movement that, that we have. So that's something that we can work on. Uh, were there any other lessons that you know we talked about black voting power? Uh, some people said that well, black people don't have any money, so they're at a disadvantage. Now, uh, Brother Ernest Fountain tells us all the time that black people have about $1.2 trillion of spending power. And he says money, a lack of money, isn't our problem. It's what we do with our money. And when you look at donations broken down by race, as close as I can get, it shows that black people at best donate about their tithes worth, if that. And we know that money is important in these races. Uh, do you have any comments about how we should utilize that $1.2 trillion to enhance our power in the game of politics? Well, I always appreciate Mr. Fountain's dissertation. I think he's a little off uh, with his numbers. Because uh, the average black household has less than $11,000 to their name. So while we may amass that in total in terms of athletes and stuff like that, that's a disarming figure. <clears throat> because, as you know, like I said, black people will catch a head. But I think that uh, going back to, you know, where we are, we need to, you know what today is, right? Today was the day Malcolm X was assassinated. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it's apropos that we talk about that because you said that. It's the ballot or the bullet. We already know the bullet don't work. The ballot is the way. So what we have to do is incorporate those old doctrines that we kind of got away from. And money's not an issue when it comes to voting. Uh, Fannie Lou Haven had no money. She voted. Uh, we voted for Shirley Chisholm. We didn't have no money. It, it, it's not about a money thing. That's what we're confused as a society. You know, it's a it's an ethics thing. It, it's a reality check, you know, on our part. And, you know, in this election season, like I said, if we listen to Malcolm, if we listen to Marcus, if we listen to W.B. Du Bois and Frederick Douglass, does the same thing. Uh, they talked about the disunity of Africans. I, I don't know if that is supposed to happen because, as you would know, slavery, we weren't all the same tribe. We were all different. We were all from different areas. It was one of the things that separated us because we couldn't communicate readily. Like our Latino brothers, they, they removed their language and gave them Spanish. But if one guy spoke, you know, Suzuki or whatever it is, or Idiki or whatever, we couldn't communicate on our own. So that's something that was a, as a holdover from slavery. The only thing you could really try to do is take care of your family. 
which is the universal goal of everybody. If we just admit that we want to take care of our families, we have to do the best interest that we can. And voting and purchasing power and all that stuff is part of it. But we boycott our own. You know what I mean? We don't shop in black places. I mean, it's just the white people effectively boycott us. Black business isn't going to have any power. So, you know, I look at it from the paradigm that the only thing you can do is develop your family with education to sustain them in these times like we can dialogue as we're doing now. And if the system can work in our favor on certain aspects, we can make it. And back to the police, you know, whatever happens in the police, there has to be a uniform police-involved shooting investigation process. That is uniform, like all laws of the United States. The same thing is, the, the, is against the law here, it's against the law there. It's got to be uniform. But, uh, you know, as, as I look at the clock also, it's 8 o'clock. I, I have to be in the plantation at 5, so I'm going to have to, you know, partake and say I appreciate your form, Ronnie. And do it we, like what, what Rodney and I are doing. Uh, gentlemen, we, we, Rodney assists me here with a program that I bring in every year where we take our investment and in, our investment is by bringing in master teachers. In, this week in Las Vegas at the West Las Vegas Library Theater, we will have Professor James Small on Thursday night and on Friday night, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. All you can do is free hey. their mind. It's, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I'm not rich, but I'm not poor, but I, I got to sit with these guys and I got to hear them. And that's what made a difference in my life. I had my grandparents, I had these guys, and now we don't hear them. We're blocked out by so many things. So when we can get together as Rodney and myself and some other individuals can from time to time, it's small successes to free your mind. That's what it is. You know, we're, we're bringing them here for free to you know, to the community, and it's, it's the investment because black business, no offense, doesn't make an investment in the black community. They take our money, and then they run someplace the same way the church does. They, they don't invest in us because we got this Edward Chamber of Commerce. we got all these black businesses. What are they doing for Black History Month collectively? So, you know, that's where I challenge black business because we started out talking about money. We don't have that money. We are asking for crumbs here in Las Vegas and in other places from the casinos to have something outsourced to us. That's, they're not going to do that. We don't make shoelaces. But what we do have is the investment in education of your mind. Capital, labor is not where it's at. It's, it's mental that frees you. And that's how and we get we through. And we have the power of influence. That that's something mm-hmm. that, that, that 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 that's something that we have to uh, you know, remind ourselves is that we are very influential, not only here in this country but around the world. You know, uh Malcolm, Martin, Marcus, uh those brothers weren't just, you know, famous in the States and in the islands mm-hmm. that are close to here. They were famous around the world and that's part of that influential Aside that we have, so I think what we need to th- we think about because because influence is also capital. It might be social capital, but it's still capital nonetheless. We and it works. Look at Beyonce. Look how they react to Beyonce and Kendall Lamar. Maybe that's the yeah. next wave to 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 bring the insight to open the dialogue. You know, uh, yeah. because like I said, it is influence. You know, but my influences come from Malcolm, Marcus, those kind of guys. I, I mm. luckily enough, I, I come from that lineage. My parents are West Indians. And uh, they just made it apparent. And then he showed me pictures of my grandfather with Marcus Garvey. So I'm like, yo, this cat hadn't, he had something going on. He didn't have no yeah. internet. He didn't have no cell phone. But he was able to do something that we were not able to do again. But he influenced their mind. But, gentlemen, as always, I appreciate you, Rodney. I will holler with y'all. Uh, always, you know, let me know what's going on in the dialogue. And when y'all come to Vegas, if you do, let me know. we got a couple of hours of programming we could do. 
Right on. Well, I'll definitely be coming back to Vegas soon. All right. Now, peace out. I need you have a great night. Franklin Burley from Like It Is Radio coming to you every Friday, 10 o'clock a.m., local Las Vegas time. You could also tune into it if you have the app, and I believe it's the tune-in app, and you could hear this brother bring it down. And he has some very influential, nationally recognized guests on his show. And every blue moon, he allowed little old me to participate as well. So, Franklin, big ups to you, brother. Thank you for holding it down as you do and for all your contributions in the community with your time, your effort, as well as your treasure. Standing with you, my brother. We're going to cast the big shadow. Y'all have a great night. All right, brother. Good night. Well, Brother Barry, I guess that leaves it to us to, to lock it down. Uh, did you have any more questions about the experience here with the Nevada um, uh, primary? No, there's a lady that's on the uh, Our Own Voices Live uh, Facebook page. And I'm not sure if mm-hmm. she's listening to the show, but I know she's commented on the page. And she was talking about uh, Hillary Clinton. And she says, I was asking her, well, you know, basically, why should we vote for Hillary? And she was saying how she wasn't going for Bernie. And she, her, her response, or well, one of her responses is, well, Hillary is not new on the scene. Mm. And what I was trying to get her to do uh, was to, you know, elaborate a little bit. Uh, her, her exact response, I said, how is Clinton better for us in reference to being Bernie? Uh, because she said Bernie is full of it. He voted for the same crime bill. He is throwing Clintons under the bus for and, and and that is true. He did. There was members of the Congressional Black Caucus, I believe, who voted for that same bill. But here's the difference, though. When President Clinton, or when the Clintons received that bill, they also had the power of veto. Mm-hmm. And I have to go back and check to see who had the House. But they had the power to veto, even if it got overturned. You know, there's authority, and then there's moral authority. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. when I asked Hillary's surrogate, about the education question, and they says, well, the president simply doesn't have that authority. And I says, well, don't she have the, the moral authority, the bully pulpit, to talk about what she wants to see? And they continue to, with their civics lesson, on how the president didn't have that authority. And I said the right. moral authority is, is important because when you stand up as a leader, and you speak out against something, it gets people's attention. Right. Maybe in a way that there's, I mean, who else can get this country's attention like the President of the United States? If if it doesn't sway them, at least it gets them talking and thinking about it. So I don't know if just because a person has been around a long time means that they're automatically looking at, after my interest, especially when they're talking about how they can't break up our Latino Hispanic brothers and sisters' families who crossed over without going to the proper procedures, but yet they seem to have had no problem and still doing it, breaking up the families of African Americans. Right. You know, Brother Rodney, this is this is what I I think, you know, and I and I say this all the time about black folks and partnerships and not only just in politics, but just in in relationships in general. We, for some reason, when it comes to people who make us suffer, we have a soft spot in our heart for those people. We really do. People who make us suffer. I'm, I'm talking about people in our 
casualize, who who either do us wrong, give, uh, cause us heartbreak, or what have you. We always figure out a way to defend those people. And I think, you know, that, that that's part of that, that slave rearing, if you will. I know a lot of people will say, well, that's part of our strength. But it's also a massive weakness that we have. And I'm, I'm bringing that up to say, yeah, Hillary Clinton has been around for a while. She started off as a Republican under Barry Goldwater. So when someone says, yeah, she's been around for a while, well, what, what was she doing when she was around for a while? What has she done to really help you? And this thing about... You know, they always go back to Bill Clinton and the economy. And, you know, this is the thing that people fail to realize. When he signed NAFTA, that was the beginning of the uh, the economy tanking. Not to mention, like you you, you, uh, you boldly stated, uh, with, with the Glass-Steagall Act. And I remember certain politicians being, uh, Bernie Sanders being one of them, pleading on the floor for them not to sign or, or to not to, uh, to, to mess up the Glass-Steagall Act. I remember other politicians who uh, other uh, – uh, Democrats at the time pleading for these things not to happen, and these men went they were they were ignored. That was led by President Clinton. He signed that into existence. So to me, when you when you look at the black family, you look at the black community, and we always talk about what's wrong with these kids, and we also talk always talk about what we need to do. Well, man, you know it's, it's this thing called the right to decency that's talked about in, in, in most political circles. It's not really talked about a lot inside of black communities anymore, but it needs to be talked about. Policies sometimes can erode that right to decency. When Bill Clinton signed NAFTA and, and a lot of those jobs went across seas, that hurt us more. White folks are going to hire white people before they hire black people. Like black folks, if we're in our right state of mind, we're going to hire our own people before we hire anyone else. Those policies that, that, that Hillary Clinton co-signed for her husband, those hurt us. They, might, they didn't hurt us right away. They might not even hurt us while he was in office. But, you know, it wasn't just George Bush who, who put bad policies in play. Uh, brother talked about, you know, her supporting the, the theory of the super predator that came out to be a, a bogus theory that was rooted in nothing. But she was on the stump giving speeches. Her and Tipper Gore uh, were going out making these speeches. So if sister says Hillary's been around the block, well, that's a lot of information to look at. As far as Bernie signing that bill, that goes back to what we were talking about, port barrel spending. That was in bills. Bernie has a constituency. What did Bernie get for his constituency? And that's, you know, as a politician, we might not like it nationally, but sometimes locally, Brother Rodney, you know, uh, in, the, in the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, politicians inside of Vegas might have had to vote for something that might have been against my interests here inside of Minnesota. But I, my, my family wasn't a part of that voting block. They were sent by the people of Vegas to help the people in Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. They might say yep. United States Congress, but hey, do you represent your district? If the district in Vegas need uh, need that funding, well, hey, sometimes you got to make some deals that you may not totally agree upon, and there might be some arm twisting by the leaders in your party. So hey, those are things that are in place, and I'm pretty sure Bernie has a few more votes that he's probably not happy about. But that's 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 the life of a politician. But let's talk about what, what, what's good for us, you know, overall and, and, and what we need now. Uh, the one thing that I would ask you, Brother Rodney, about what happened with, with, the, uh, with the caucusing there uh, with, with you guys, is I want to know how, what was the response you were getting from African Americans after the town hall, um, the town hall uh, 
meeting that, that was on television because I was shocked, Brother Rodney. I didn't see a lot of us in the audience. And w- were you getting any, any feedback about that out there? Uh, no, there was actually very little feedback about the town hall in general. Now, the way that these town halls work, and mm-hmm. b- b- you know what, before I go too far, one of the things that I have called for locally, and mm-hmm. I'm suggesting that people do this in their areas too, is that mm-hmm. we have our own town hall. In other words, African Americans call a town hall with their community leaders, their politicians, however they want to do it. But find the doers in your community and call a town hall with them so that you can come mm-hmm. up with the things that you want to not ask but demand from these policy candidates when they come to visit you. Because they are going to come to visit, and they are going to have town halls. But the way that mm-hmm. the town hall people are selected, getting back to your question, is party loyalty. So in other mm-hmm. words, if Brother Barry, let's say uh, Democratic person so-and-so, thinks that you have a following of whatever significance, right. then they are going to invite you to be their guest at the town hall. If you are a political donor, you're going to be their guest at the town hall. If you are a political operative, then you get invited to the town hall. Now, in Las Vegas, in Clark County, and for that matter, in the state, our Democratic Party is simply run by white people. Mm. And to a certain extent, if you talk to some of the black people who got in the party during Obama's reign, they will tell you that they were pushed out. That's their belief, that they've been pushed out and that Mm. they have been replaced. By others who And I don't know because parties are About party loyalty Maybe that's just the way that it works But they were pushed out by people who Stuck to the, stuck to the party line mm. So you see Very few black people in party Leadership Minus our elected officials and Here's the thing with our elected officials Many of them were Hillary Clinton supporters So it was to the benefit Of you know, the Clinton people to have their black elected officials front and center because they know that that has a psychological impact on the black electorate in general. Mm. Now, unfortunately, Bernie Sanders did not have any black elected officials openly supporting him, if supporting him at all. So Mm. he wasn't able to do that. So what you got was what you see, uh, a lot of the people that some people thought were the majority population actually were Latino Hispanic. Hmm. And both both candidates, had, and I, I believe Bernie won or got a large uh, number of Latino Hispanics. And so that's what you, so you see a reflection of a town hall that the candidates in conjunction with the media throw um, representing their constituents, their supporters. So what I'm suggesting, and this would be great in South Carolina because it's such a huge black election, is that they have their own town hall to ask their questions or pose their questions, talk about the things that are important to them, and then invite the media to cover it. I almost said dare the media to cover it, but I'm going to say 
invite the media to cover it. If I was doing at least one thing differently and had the time, it would be Mm -hmm. to organize, and I just simply ran out of time, it would be to organize a black town hall where we discuss our issues and what we want to tell the candidates. Make sure that the media is there. We take plenty of videos to spread everywhere of what we want, what our needs are. And then let's see how the candidates answer the call that we put out. And then let's determine who will caucus or or vote for in the primary. Yeah, no, I I think that's, that's actually potent politics. Let me ask you a question, though. Not to alter mm-hmm. what you're saying, do you think it would be also good to do that now? Because I mean, think about it. it's a national campaign. It's going to be a lot of congress, a congressman or senators running. Even if you miss the Bernie train slash Hillary train, could you also do on a national level that with those same? If you're in uh, towns where there may there may be contested uh, races, there are going to be swing votes. Inside of the Senate or the House, couldn't you also do the well, do the same for those particular races? I actually believe that this is something that we need to do. Just period. It's just something that we need mm. to do. Every municipality, mm. every community needs to do this. It's almost like mm. as if we're having our own uh, convention where we mm. get to talk about our stuff. So you know, when we have these joint gatherings, and you know, I, you know, we always talk about the black and brown. And there is some overlap, but there are differences. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I learned from my Latino Hispanic brothers and sisters when I go to their meetings, yes, I typically, even though I'm a member of their clubs and organizations, I don't vote when something comes up that is specific to their, to them, to their group. And mm. after a couple of sessions, some of the leaders came over to me and they thanked me. For not voting And they didn't feel bad About doing it And I understood why But too often We always Are inclusive of other people When it comes to us deciding What it is best for us It may not Mm. be that someone Is doing something through malice But maybe they haven't had the experiences That we have to give An intelligent vote On that particular topic so what I'm suggesting is, yes, black people, this is Black History Month, see, we can talk blackness. I'm suggesting that black people, you, get together in your community with people like yourselves to determine what it is that you need your candidates and your elected officials to do for you, that you document it, that you categorize it, that you prioritize it. And then when they come to your community, whether it's at a town hall or a rally, but especially at those town halls where all the cameras are there. Now, it's going to be hard because if you're not a party loyalist, you won't get in. But you make sure that you get that to your media outlets, black if you have it. If not, whoever you can get it to, spread it all over Facebook, Twitter, whatever medium that you have available to you so that they cannot say black people didn't ask us for nothing. You know, I did the best that I can. Now we should, in the 21st century, we shouldn't fall for right. it anymore. So, brother, that's no, I what agree, I think brother. about that is we need to, like where you are, I believe, mm-hmm. brother, and I'm saying specifically you, if you can see me, I'm pointing right now, <laughs> but I'm saying right. you, 
with your people, with your circle, because they have circles too. Put the word right. out. Let's have our own town hall. So when these candidates come stopping here for our vote, we can say, this is what we want you to do, and this is what's going to determine whether we vote for you, whether we caucus for you. Mm. And let's see how they respond. Let's put, them, let, let's, let's put the onus on them for a change to work on our behalf. I agree. I agree. I, you know what? I, I know a couple of brothers. I, I know a brother that's been uh, uh, on my show, Brother Hollis Winston. He's the chair of the African-American DFL caucus inside of uh, Minnesota. So I'm going to talk to that brother and see if we can make that happen. I think I, I've been trying to, in general, I think, you know, African-Americans should be having town hall meetings quarterly. Uh, outside of politics, you know, politics included, but to be talking about things, you know, our issues, man. We, we we need to start back communicating with each other because you're right. Other groups meet, but our issues are not front and center, and they don't talk a lot about things that we, where it's even when things might benefit us equally the same. They are not mentioning us when they when they do that dialogue. That's not something that they do, and and I'm I'm seeing it even from my brothers and sisters from you know from the continent when when they go and and they ask for things for education or um, you know anything dealing with the government they're not asking you know on our behalf so you know we we don't have to ask on other folks' behalf always either sometimes you have to be selfish and look out for the, you know that's part of self preservation sometimes you got to look out for yourself and some things that you might look out for yourself for might you know it might clash with other people but hey. You got to worry about your survival. You can't, you know, you can't die, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, to, to help other people survive, you know. Um, Brother Rodney, what, 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 I, what I'm looking at this po- political climate, and, and we, we, we talked about it, you know, before, but the, but the gender wars. I'm, I'm still a strong believer that a lot of our sisters are voting for Hillary just because she's a woman. And I, I think that, you know, that that's not good. I, I don't think that that's good. No, no different than... You know, somebody shouldn't be voting for Bernie just because he's a man. It has nothing to do with that. You want to look at the policies, and you definitely, you know, sisters out there who are listening, you know, brothers, I know I'm not, you know, saying what I'm saying about Hillary because she's a woman. It has nothing to do with a woman. It's about the policies that has affected us in the past that can rear their head. And here's something that I wanted to state, because we talk about mass incarceration. Now, you know, in the in, in United States, Brother Rodney, there are federal minimum laws, right? Because we, mm-hmm. we talk about crack cocaine and, you know, in, in crack, you know, uh, you have the right amount, you get automatic 20 years. Now, there's another drug that uh, that's on the horizon that, all, that gives you an automatic federal sentence no matter the amount, no matter the amount whatsoever, and that's heroin. And the drug of choice right now that's being sold in the ghettos of America right now is heroin. Not weed, not crack cocaine, heroin. That is the drug right now. Those come with mandatory minimums. There's no skating, uh, you know, very few diversion programs for those uh, for those whatsoever. If my fear, as a father... You know, I got a son who's eight, just turned 18 years old a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, my, my fear is some of his peers and himself and, and my other children. You know, I'm worried about policies that might, one, you know, 
determine that they're criminals just because they're black and they're male. You know, I'm worried about that, but I'm also worried about them getting in situations where the police are left unchecked. They're already gunning them down. Uh, if you don't want to kill them that way or gun them down that way, you could simply just plant some heroin on them and, and have them inside of federal prisons for over 20 years for for a bag of heroin. So my thing, brother, is I, I feel like this voting, you know, when we vote, when we cast this vote, when we vouch for these politicians, we need to not only look for our own personal gain, you know, whether it's womanhood, whether it's just you being a Democrat, or, you know, you being middle class or upper middle class, whatever you figure yourself, you know, you, you consider yourself and how you relate to these politicians. You need to look and see exactly how, you know, will that vote look in the next five years? What policies will that person, um, you know, bring forth that's going to cripple us? And, you know, that should determine how you cast your vote. The vote is important, and that's something that we need to absorb, counter to what other people are saying. And this goes out to my my black nationalists. This goes mm-hmm. out to uh, many of, of my other brothers and sisters who are fighting for the cause and, and doing a valiant effort who are not registered to vote. We have to be in the game. That is the system because... Somebody is going to get elected. And I'm going to throw something else out there. For those brothers and sisters out there who know the things that need to be done and believe that the candidates who are running at whatever level of office, city councilman, assemblyman, county county commissioner, school board trustee, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. If If you think you can do a better job, then you should look at running. If you know someone, that you think could do a better job because you've seen their work, not just their words, but you've seen their work, then go to them and tell them that you want them to run and this is the reasons why. And then be willing to do the background work to support them in their bid for office. This is this is how we win. Now, we don't have ten years for this because the demographics are shifting so rapidly in this country due to immigration. And we hear our elected officials, our Democrats, talk about immigration. And they often reference our Latino brothers and sisters on how it will benefit them. Now, when a group of people have so much focus on themselves, that gives them power. When you have power, you try to get as much as you can while you have that power because you don't know how much longer are you going to have that power? That's just the way it, it works. Well, right. sometimes in the process of looking out for themselves, they may not notice that there's something in what they're proposing that might be harmful to us as African Americans. Right. Not saying it's done intentionally. It's just because they're getting what they can get. Right. Well, we have to have someone there sometimes to say, hey, did you know that if this happens, this right here is going to happen to my people, which is going to be a very bad thing. How about if we do it this way or that way, or maybe in some cases we can still get to where we need to be with your issue, and we're going to get rid of this thing over here because it hurts my people, and that would be an issue for us. See, we need right. people in the game. We need people who are willing to, to, to review this stuff. So when we talk about immigration reform, does immigration reform benefit black people? as it benefits our Latino 
Hispanic as well as Asian brothers and sisters? Is it Mm. innocuous to us, or is it going to have some adverse effect? Well, just because I am a Democrat, if I am a Democrat, should not mean that I have to keep my mouth shut knowing that this thing is going to hurt my people. As a matter of fact, that's the reason why I was elected, if I was an elected official, but so I can look out for those things and help educate my fellow Democrats, my Latino, Hispanic brothers and sisters, on that, yes, this thing right here might work, but this thing over here is going to be devastating to our people. Remember, in America, when you help black people, it helps everyone. When you help other groups, it tends to help and focus on just those other groups. And sometimes when you help other groups, it hurts us as African Americans. We are still Americans, and we should be able to openly talk and have discourse about those things that, though it may sound nice, and we say, well, we don't want to mess with our democratic process, we don't want to alienate think our Latino brothers and sisters, and we don't want them to think that we're going against them, no, we're not going against them, but we are going for ourselves as they are going for themselves. And I believe they would prob- people would probably have more respect for us if we look out for our interests at least half as much as we look after everybody else. No, I strongly believe people would, 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 would look at us in a different light and respect us more. I mean, how can you respect the people who only look out, who, who looks out for other people before they look out for themselves? It's almost, um, in my opinion, I mean, it it just shows a, a glaring hole. I mean, you know, it's a strength to be as humble as we are. It's also a weakness uh, to be as humble as, as we are. And like you stated, you know, when you're, when you're in power and you're, you're flexing your power, you try to get as much as you can. And, you know, here's the thing. Those other groups are not worrying necessarily about us. And, you know, in, in some regards... No, in a lot of regards, you can't blame them because in the end, why should they worry about us? You know, they have That's to worry, right. just like we talked about the politicians. You know, you have to worry about your block. You can't worry about the next person's block because if you're worried about that block, you might, you know, you might be doing a disservice to you and your people. So, you know, everybody has to look out for themselves. We just have to look out for ourselves more. And there's nothing to apologize about. There's nothing to feel sorry about. Man, question these politicians. Look at the things that they're doing that, that that you might have questions on. Do the research. I mean, that that's the one thing that that I feel like happens uh, black voters all the time is that we support people who really don't say much. They do a lot of feel good. They come in, they start talking like Baptist preachers, and they start telling you like they they start saying buzzwords that you think that they're really telling you what you want to hear. But in the end, they're not—they're not going to deliver on a lot of stuff that they—they they say they're going to deliver on. And when they don't, to you, and they give everything to all other constituents, whether it's gays, whether it's Latinos, uh, whether it's other immigrants from uh, you, you know your persuasion, whatever the whatever the, the group may be. When we are the ones stuck with the bag of suffering afterwards, and those other groups are eating at the table. Those other groups aren't even thinking about throwing us a bone. They're not. So we might as well, you know, wisen up. And, and you know, it's 2016. Let's do this for our future. and Let's do this for our people. I mean, we we deserve it. Well, brother, I'm glad you mentioned that because 
I live, I just happen to live in one of the largest uh, congressional districts in the country. And within that congressional district happens to have the fifth largest uh, school district in the country that's rapidly approaching the number four spot. And in my congressional district, it just happens to be the most populous for African Americans. Mm. And we currently do not have a black congressman or senator, nor do we have a black person, an African American, running for those seats. So what I've decided to do is I'm in the community talking about how we need to be politically involved and we need to be engaged in the process and that we have to be in the game. I've decided to throw my hat into the political arena and run Mm. for Congress in Nevada representing Congressional District 4, which is a district that I have my house in, and it's a district that I've lived in for years. And at some point, the doers and the people who believe that they know and are willing Mm. to share that information and knowledge and they're out there in the communities doing the work, at some point we have to sort of step in maybe a slightly different direction than we had planned on because I'd always believed, like Donald Trump, it's better to be the king maker than the king. If I give somebody $1,200, I get access. Well, that's one thing, but there's some people that may not want my $1,200. So if I want to be able to talk the talk, I have to be willing to walk the walk. So I've decided to run for Congress in Congressional District 4 in Nevada, which is about as big as the state of Georgia. Wow. We have over 80,000 African Americans in this congressional district. The bulk of African Americans in the state of Nevada are in that congressional district. And if we cannot win this congressional district, now I'm not saying I'm a perfect person by any means. I was right. I was not only a gang member, but I was a leader of my gang. As a matter of fact, I was the warlord back in the day. So, no, I'm definitely not a perfect person. I've, I've been suspended from school due to my gang affiliation. But that was then and this is now. And part of that life has led me to have a passion for my community because I know that the path that I took, maybe I wouldn't have taken if there would have been a little bit more of this or that there for me. Right. So what I'm saying, and I'm not saying this to toot my horn here, what I'm saying is that I'm willing to put my effort and myself where my mouth is. And those doers in the community, it's time for us to stop talking as much about what is being done to us and what has been done to us and talk about what we're going to do for ourselves and our people. And then when there is an opportunity to lead, that we step up and take that opportunity. We may not always be successful, but maybe through that journey, we elevate the conversations to those things that are important to our community. Maybe we educate some people who just simply were ignorant of these things because they're not exposed to it, nor do they have to be. There's an old saying that says, if you're a black person, you definitely need to know about white people because you're living in their world. But if you're a white person, it's not necessary that you know about black people because you're the one that's running things. Mm -hmm. And with that being the case, 
there are a lot of people, not because they're bad people, but they simply are not aware. They have no reason to know. They haven't been exposed to it. So by us being engaged in the political process at whatever level, I believe we have a responsibility to get into the game, to be that elected official, to run for that office, to elevate the conversation in association with things that are important to our community. Mm-hmm. And if it's not us, then you say, well, well, who is it going to be? Well, if you know somebody, by all means, ask them. But if everybody says not me, somebody will fill that void. Somebody is going to fill that void. Somebody is going to make that decision for you. And brothers and sisters, if you look at the demographic data, we have no country called Africa America to bring immigrants in to help us increase our population anywhere near the rate of our Latino, Hispanic brothers and sisters, and for that matter, our Asian brothers and sisters. If we want to compete, we have to have players on the field. Right. And we have to have the best players that we can get. They may not be the overall best, but then again, if it's the best that we have, then they they are our best. Today I'm saying I, I, Rodney Smith, will be running for Congress and Congressional District 4, and I'm asking all those who hear, please spread the word, because I need support. I, I guess I need funds. I need people knocking on doors. I mean, that's the, that's the process. I need people to make phone calls. I need people to post it on social media if this is going to work. Remember, President Obama supposedly couldn't win. They said Bernie Sanders wasn't significant. Bernie Sanders has raised more money by more people, individual donors, I believe, than anyone else in history. So that goes to show that the power of the people is real. Do not let someone tell you that you don't have the power because you have the power to vote for the person that you believe in. And you also have, I think his average donation is $27. Well, shut If Bernie Sanders' average donation is $27 and he's getting all across the country, I'm right here in Nevada. Can I get $27? I'll take five. I'll take one. Hey, I'll take shake the piggy bank because it all adds up. But with $27, Bernie Sanders has been able to run neck and neck with one of the greatest machines in the history of politics in this country. And I believe that we have a concentration of people in this particular district where utilizing our resources, we can make a difference and we can put our issues on the table because next election cycle, the demographics will have shifted so much that we can try to fill the candidate, but we simply won't have the numbers to get that candidate in office. So, brother, that's what I wanted to pop off the show with is um, some people say, well, Rodney, is this something you always wanted to do? I say, no, just the opposite. But I have to go back to a line in the Ten Commandments and it was talking to Moses, and he said, I'm compelled to do it. Well, as a man who truly believes and supports and loves my people, love my people, I may not always say it right, ladies, I understand that. I may not always do it right, but I am out there trying, and I am doing what I know how to do. Help me to do it better. Help me to say it the way that it's appealing to you, because I am going to say it, and I am going to do it. Mm. All right, brother. What you got to All right, brother. Well you, you, well, you, well, you, yeah, that, that definitely, 
Well, you, you, I mean, you, you, you hit it right there, man. And you know, um, you need somebody to come out and do some uh, campaign support or anything. You know, I, I'll be out there. Well, right on, brother. I, I appreciate those good words. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is our special unity show. We talk about the Nevada caucus, the black vote, the black agenda. Uh, brother Franklin G from Like It Is Radio came up with the concept of just like the military has a uniform code of military justice, that we need a uniform method and procedures to deal with these shootings that involve unarmed black people and significantly black men. He said that's something that should be part of our agenda. Maybe when you have those town halls that we've urged you to have amongst your people, that's something that you can bring up and you can put out there and you can put a demand. And the reason why I say ask, not ask but demand, is because power seeds power to no man. It just doesn't happen. Frederick Douglass told us that. You have to put a demand on the system. So when you go out, this is a those are one of the things that you demand that they address, that you want some type of nationalized process to deal with this so that it takes out a lot of the guesswork, it takes out a lot of the cronyism that goes on with that blue wall of silence. Uh, we also have suggested, uh, and Brother Barry supported this, that we start having town halls with our people in our own community to talk about our concerns not just for the presidential candidates that may have come and gone, but for all those candidates and people who are currently elected so that we can decide what it is that's important to us and then tell them that it's part of our agenda. I don't want any of you to be in a situation where you have a candidate or, for that matter, an elected official that comes to you and says, hey, I'd like to help. What do you need? Um, where, where are your leaders? Who are the people I need to talk to? Know who they are. And put a demand on them, even if they haven't been doing the right thing, put them on notice that this is what you want them to do because, hey, they can be voted out too. And sometimes this is, this is a critical piece right here. You know, for those biblical scholars out there in the Bible, it talks about most of the people are broken before they're finally delivered or healed. Well, sometimes maybe we might have to break stuff too. Maybe we don't get that candidate because they really weren't the best candidate anyway. Sometimes we have to take an L in order to get the big win because we take an L in the battle, but ultimately we are victorious in the war. And maybe if candidates are not the ones that we want, and there's that one person out there that maybe he's the best, he or she is the best person, but there's the so-called, well, they can't win. Well, maybe that's the message that you need to send to the system that's out there. If you're a Democrat, to the Democrat, that, yeah, you gave us this person that's no good, and that's your front runner, that's the establishment, but we're going to be like the Republicans. We get rid of the establishment, and we're going with this person, whether they win or not. We want them to win, but if they don't, we're putting you on notice that we're not going to just accept anybody anymore. So those are some things that we could work on. And, of course, I mentioned that we need to change our curriculum system in American schools at a fundamental level that incorporates and integrates African-American history and culture throughout all courses, not just a class, not an elective, but throughout all curriculum, pre-K to 12, 
colleges, universities that are publicly funded, and all other publicly funded schools of higher learning because that's our tax dollars. Let's help educate our people. And when I say our people, I'm talking about American people, that we all have value, that we all have value. Well, brother, I really enjoy the fact because what we did today was we're a diverse group of men who came together in this one place where we could have discussion on things. That doesn't mean that we always have to walk lockstep with one another. But in order for us to say that we need unity in our community, we have to be the ones that are in unity ourselves. And today, for Black History Month, I wanted to ensure and let everybody know that those you will hear us have vigorous conversations. Occasionally we'll have debate. But when it comes to what's best for our people, that's what comes first. To my sisters out there who say, well, sometimes the way you brothers talk, you know, it, it doesn't come across well. I don't like it. Well, help us. But also look at our hearts, though, and look at our body of work. Because sometimes... Maybe we don't say it just right, but we're trying to do the right thing. Sometimes maybe it sounds hurtful, but I ask you, is it the truth? Because no brother wants to hurt a sister. I want to love you all. So, brother, let them know what what your show is, what time you're going to come on, if you know your topic. Rap Radio, we will be on this Thursday. You know, the topic this week is just simply, it's just simply, what what do we expect out of our institutions, HBCUs and black organizations? And are we given enough to get the results that we're looking for? Uh, We've been off for a couple of weeks. Pretty much most of February because you know in, in Barry in the Barry world February is the most busiest month because of all the birthdays. But we'll be back. We'll be ranting for sure. I got some brothers that I'll be bringing with me, so it is going to be a great show. That'll be 7 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Pacific time. Right on. The ranters are going to get their rant on, and this brother brings it. He brings the heat. You know, Bernie Sanders says, feel the burn, or Brother Barry bring the heat. So I, I wish you all the very best. Tell you to look at today as if there is no tomorrow. Because, it's, first of all, it's not promised to any of us. I can tell you by the demogra- demographic projection, our tomorrow is not showing much hope for us. We have to make our hope. There's an old saying that says, the harder I work, the luckier I get. But if we want to change things for our people, there's no other people coming here to help us. We're all that we have. We need to do it for us. So on that note, we will be back live on the air this coming Saturday at 12.30 on the West Coast, 3.30 on the East Coast. We're going to continue and finish up our Black Agenda segment. We try to hit the Black Agenda on every show because this is a month where we can talk about black stuff. Isn't that amazing that we just can do it in one month freely and hopefully we were able to do that freely. Hopefully you all got something out of the show. Please go to Our Own Voices Live. Leave us a message. Uh, This was also on Rant Radio's page, on Real Radio's page. Uh, Go and let us know. Uh, There was Franklin G. 
from Like It Is Radio, who has the Like It Is Radio page, uh, leave, leave us some words. Let us know that maybe there's something that touched you. We'd love to hear it. If you have your black agenda, share that black agenda with us and all of those in your circle. Maybe somebody can add something. Maybe there's something that needs to be modified. But the most important thing is getting it out there so we can work on it, so we can move on it. Thank you very much, and brother, I'll see you on the flip side. God bless you and all your right. family. Uh, belated happy birthday to you all. Hopefully you all celebrate it like I know you do up there in that the great white north. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll see you next time. All right, brother. Peace. Right, peace.